Good morning. Um, my name is Ryan Wheat. I'm the student pastor here. Shannon uh, is out this week, and so he's given me uh, the keys to the kingdom this morning to, uh, to try to bring the word for you guys, um, try to be a tool by which the Lord can speak to you all. And so I hope that he does that through me this morning. Um, my heart is pretty heavy this morning. Uh, my soul hurts. Uh, Thursday night, I found myself, like many of you guys, watching the TV um, as a sequence of events uh, started to play out that was absolutely horrifying. Um, I ended up watching TV until probably 2 o'clock Friday morning. Uh, I flipped between three of the local stations and, and was paying attention to my social media feed, um, and trying to get updates and trying to kind of make sense of what in the world was happening. Um, I knew what was taking place, and when I say what is happening, uh, I could see what they were reporting, but there was a part of me that was, was thinking about everything that had happened up to that Thursday uh, night and, and kind of wondering what in the world is happening to the world that we live in. Um, there was a, an, a wave of hopelessness and helplessness that rushed over me um, as I tried to make sense of where humanity is headed and what has gotten us to where uh, we are currently. Uh, my heart broke every time uh, they would break in on the news and increase the count of how many police officers had fallen in the line of duty. Um, police, firefighters, EMS, military. Um, there's a burden on our hearts that um, even though there are individuals that may uh, say things or do things that we don't necessarily agree with, we will still fight to the death for their right to be able to say those things. And Thursday night, we saw on a public platform that burden played out in real time. And I have to say, I couldn't be more proud uh, of the city of Dallas. Um, I've lived here my whole life, and so to be able to see the, the police officers that prior to the violence were protecting um, the, the exercise of free speech, and then once the violence broke out, that responded to that, um, and then the, in the wake of all of that on Friday, to see the city rally around each other, um, to come together to try to heal and to try to move in a more positive direction. And the truth is the entire world has their eyes fixed on Dallas right now. And I have to say, I think that we have responded in exemplary fashion. And so I'm proud this morning to be able to stand up here and say that I am from Dallas, Texas. Um, at one point during all of the chaos, I remember saying out loud, man, I don't think I can preach on what I'm supposed to be preaching on on Sunday morning. We've been in the series Worship and Wisdom for a couple of weeks, and um, we've known that, uh, or I've known that I was going to be preaching on a psalm or proverb this morning for a few weeks, and the one that I had picked out is Psalm 144. Now, Psalm 144 starts off by saying, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And so as I started to think about that verse, as the circumstances started to play out, I started to think that it might be inappropriate for me to talk about battle and warfare when there is uh, so much gunfire that's taking place on the streets of Dallas. And as I expressed my concern, my wife, with an amazing amount of clarity and wisdom, looked at me and said, you know, if there's ever a time when we need to be talking about fighting for justice and hope and love, it's now. And I have to say, I agree with her. 
So that's where we're going to be planning ourselves this morning. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Psalm 144. We're going to be looking at Psalm 144. We're also going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15. Um, in Psalms, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. Um, we might look at a little more, a little less. That's kind of where we're going to be at. Uh, Psalm 144 does say, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Now, this verse is written by the psalmist David. David was a warrior king. He had known battle and warfare all of his life. Uh, from the moment that he had engaged with the giant Goliath, and you could probably even argue leading up uh, to that as he uh, you know, fought the beasts of the field to protect his flock, all the way to the writing of this psalm, David had engaged in dozens of armed conflicts, both as a soldier and as a commander. And so uh, he knew a life that meant being surrounded by an enemy at all times that was waiting to destroy him at the soonest opportunity. And so when he writes these words in Psalm 144, he is very much talking about a very physical form of warfare. Um, he's talking about shields and spears and swords. But I don't think that that takes away from the fact that we as human beings are still in the midst of battle and warfare, that we are still surrounded constantly by an enemy that is looking to devour us. And while our enemy may not be throwing spears or charging at us with swords, um, the destruction is just as devastating. Um, even as the events played out on Thursday um, and what's been playing out in our society all the way up to this point, um, it's a very surface level if we think that uh, it's rooted in gun violence or criminal activity or police brutality. I think that we're being very nearsighted um, if we think that solving those surface level issues are going to actually fix the problem. The world is the way that the world is because of sin, period. The vessel by which the devil delivers so much pain and so much suffering into our lives um, is much deeper than a rifle or a protest. I think that Satan would be easily stopped in his schemes if we could uh, uh, combat him with something as simple as legislation or regulating a police force. In order to combat love and unity and peace, the devil has to engage in things like anger and division, fear and sadness. We talk a lot about terrorism in our country. And I bet if I were to ask you to picture what you think of when you think of terrorism, you would think of Osama bin Laden or you would think about ISIS. You rarely have the image of the devil pop up in your mind when you think of terrorism. But the reality is that Satan is a terrorist. In fact, I would say that he is the terrorist. He preys on the intangible emotions of individuals in hopes of controlling an entire population with coercion and terror. Our war on terror for the church looks very different than a Marine that's walking through the sands of Fallujah or for a police officer that is keeping the people of Dallas safe. Yet I would argue that the church has a greater ability to stop all of this madness and chaos than either of them. And the reason for that is, is because our solution isn't temporary. 
The only thing that can permanently remove the destructive work of sin and Satan in our world is the redemptive power of Christ. That's it. And I think that we should be the agents by which that redemptive power is revealed and exposed to the world. During a situation like this, I think it's our natural inclination to retract. We want to be in the safety of our homes. We want to be in the safety of our churches. We want to surround ourselves with the the people that we know aren't going to harm us. But I think if there's ever a time that we should be in our community exposing people to the goodness of God, it's now. As soldiers of God, our mission is his great commission. It's to make him known to everybody Not just people that we look like, not just people that we agree with or people that we feel comfortable around, not just the people that we think deserve him in some way, but even the people that we think don't. We should be exposing everybody to that good news. Our battle is a fight to inject light into darkness. And there isn't an argument on Facebook or a political agenda that is greater or more important than us exposing people to his love, mercy, and grace. I think that it's time for us as a church to fight. Now, we don't normally like to think of ourselves as believers as fighters. We don't like to think of ourselves as warriors. In fact, we normally try to distance ourselves from a God of war, right? You think of the God of war and you think of the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament God. You don't think of uh, the New Testament believer supposed to be somebody who's going into battle, Um, the reality is we can turn on our TVs and we can see what happens when you marry religion and warfare together and we see that it's a pretty horrific thing. When we think of Jesus, we don't necessarily think of him as a fighter. I think the church likes the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Bee Gees-looking Jesus with kids surrounding him and and there's animals and everything is very peaceful, right? When we think of, of, of Jesus, we relate him to the New Testament form, uh, you know, of God, where he says things in, in chapter five of Matthew, like blessed be the meek and blessed be the merciful and, and blessed be the peacemakers. Scripture tells us in Exodus that the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name, but we separate the Beatitudes from the old God of war in the Old Testament. And I think we do that because of what we see playing out in our uh, lives every single day. And then we read language like they've got in the New Testament and we hear that and we think that that's the language of somebody that's passive, meek and and, and merciful and and, and a peacemaker. That's all passive types of language. But the reality is, is the gospel of Jesus and the life that he lived was anything but passive. I really can't think of a more perfect picture of God's willingness to fight than the fact that he sent his one and only son for us. Proverbs 6.17 tells us that God hates the taking of innocent life. He hates it. And yet he sent his innocent son to die for us. God loved us so much that he took the form of a man. He entered a world that rejected him. He fought a political system that persecuted him and his people. He ended up taking on a death sentence for us that we deserved. Ended up going to hell, conquering hell and death so that we could spend eternity with him. That's a pretty warrior thing to do. I think that's what it looks like for us to fight for something, to fight for hope and for redemption and for justice. I think that it's about time that we become warriors as well. Uh, A few weeks ago, Shannon preached and he used a quote by C.T. Studd. 
And uh, I thought it was an amazing quote. I became fascinated with C.T. Studd. I started looking up all of his, his books and his essays. There's one called Chocolate Soldiers. It's amazing. Uh, it's more like a long essay. I recommend that you go and look it up. But C.T. Studd was a warrior for God. I mean, he went to the, the deepest, darkest place of the world to make him known. And he has a quote that says this, Let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. That gives me goosebumps. When I think of that quote and I put it in the context of the verse that we're looking at today and the way that the world is currently struggling, something has become abundantly clear to me that we need to be blowing our trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer because the world needs Jesus. The first thing that David does is give the Lord thanks and give the Lord credit in this psalm. He understands, David fully grasps that he would be nowhere if it weren't for the equipping and the enabling and the training of God. He knows that he would be totally helpless moving forward if he didn't have his guidance, his instruction, and his presence. And so as we find ourselves in such a confusing time, as we try to make sense of everything that's going on, I think we need to plant ourselves firmly on the promises of God. And I think we need to recognize that the struggle is not over. I think we know, I think we know when we see violence like this happen that there might be a a moment of peace that rests on the other side of this conflict, but the conflict will rise again. And I think that as a church and as a body of believers, we need to push forward. Because I think there's hope and there's comfort in knowing that God, the God of the universe, is making a way for us. And we know that he's making a way for us um, because of what he has already done. He fought and he died for us. David goes on to say in verse 2, He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and in whom I take refuge. He is my steadfast love, David says. Now that phrase, steadfast love, is actually used by the psalmist David a few chapters earlier in Psalm 136. In fact, he uses the phrase steadfast love 26 times throughout that chapter. You see a flood of repetition as David describes in vivid detail the depths of God's power, followed by the promise of his steadfast love enduring forever. It starts off by saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and the stars to rule over the night. To him our steadfast love endures forever. God is great. God is good. And he is for us. He is. You read that and you think of a God that has created all of those things fighting for us. And even though the fight might be tough and it might seem impossible and we might seem alone, if we stand on that promise and that reassurance of what David is saying here, then you can accomplish anything. David isn't looking at this love uh, uh, through a lens of a weak love. He's looking at this love that to be loved by God is to be loved by the creator of the heavens, the divider of the Red Sea, the defender and the rescuer, a God that never leaves and a God that never forsakes us. 
Now, you wouldn't think that the God of the universe would necessarily need a resume, that he would need to list all of his accolades the way that he does here in Scripture. But even King David, who knew the presence of God in a very real sense, needed the reminder of how great God was. So in chapter 144, when we see him refer back to this steadfast love, he isn't talking about or framing up a romantic, kind of fluffy, might be here tomorrow kind of love. He's not talking about a a song lyric type of love. He's talking about the love and protection of a warrior that has fought for his creation. There's faithfulness and there's kindness in this type of love. There's also protection. There's deliverance and redemption. We see this picture that God enabled a nation of slaves to conquer their way to the promised land. And I think that if we take a step back, we realize that as his people today, we are still to a certain extent slaves to this world. And yet with his power, we are still fighting our way to the promised land. So when he says, my steadfast love, he's reminding himself repeatedly And I think that all of us need to remind ourselves that in the midst of this battle and the chaos, that God is still here. He is still immovable. And he is still working to redeem us. Now, if you're anything like me, um, and you felt that sense of hopelessness and helplessness in the midst of all of this stuff, I think that you need to know that God is good and his steadfast love does endure forever. I think we need to fight to make that truth known. We don't need to hold that as a secret for ourselves. I think right now we need to be a church that mourns, and I think we need to be a church that prays for those families that have been uh, devastated by all of the recent events, both those that took place on Thursday as well as the ones that took place prior to that. I think we need to be praying for those families where sin has uh, come into their lives and has robbed them of their loved ones. I think we need to be praying for those who think that their battle somehow involves them needing to be angry and spew hatred and spew violence in order to get their uh, point across. Just because those people might seem like they're our enemy doesn't mean that they are uh, too far for us to be able to reach them. We need to make sure that as an opportunity presents itself that we are able to be the agents that expose people to the truth that no matter how broken or how corrupt or destructive this world has become, that the love of God heals the broken. It tames the wicked and it lifts high his creation. As much as I am encouraged when I see on Facebook people now putting notes on squad cars or buying lunches for police officers, um, I think we also need to be a community that will recognize when somebody is different than us, be able to walk across the room to them and look at them and say, you know what, you may not know this, but God loves you. And because God loves you and because God loves me, I also love you. I want to leave you guys with this. I've read this verse every single day since Thursday, and it's been, um, it's been an amazing amount of comfort to me. It's been an amazing amount of reassurance, and it's 1 Corinthians 15. It's verses 50 through 58. Um, it says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, 
In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says here. So when you look around and you see a world that you think we are losing the battle in, I'm hoping that you're looking close enough that even in the wake of tragedy, you see the healing that is taking place within communities, both communities that are alike as well as communities that are diverse. And I hope you see the hope in the way that we are comforting one another. And I want you to be reminded of this, that even though Satan thinks that he might have won because of the destruction that he has caused, the love of God shines through all of this darkness. And Jesus will continue to change the hearts of evil men. Let's pray together. us. And God, I know that our natural response is to retract. Our natural response is to um, remove ourselves from harm's way. But God, we're a people that are uniquely equipped because we are the only people that carry with us the actual tool that can bring a stop to all of this madness. And so God, my prayer this morning is for our congregation.